Father, trust your holy scripture. Thank you for the hours that he devotes each week to ensuring that he's delivering your truth. Encourage him, motivate us through his deliverance. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Thankful for his blood covering us. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 4, continuing our study through the book of Acts this morning. If you do not have a Bible, we have some on the back table in the back. If you do not want it all, consider that as our gift to you. But as you turn to Acts chapter 4, when I arrived at college or freshman orientation, now, some 25 years ago, um, I received a book entitled, Who You Are When No One Is Looking. Every, <clears throat> every freshman coming in received this book. Now, I don't, I don't remember enough about the book itself to provide an endorsement of the book or a critique of the book. But even from the title of the book, the, the focus of it was obvious. Getting us as, as freshmen in college to think about who we are when no one else is looking. A perfect question for a freshman going off to school for the very first time, right? Entering in with more freedom and dorm life and everything else that comes with it. Who are you when no one else is looking? Not only a perfect question for a college freshman to ponder. It's a, a question for each and every one of us to ponder. Who are you? Who are we when no one else is looking? One of the great accusations levied against Christians today is what? The accusation of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy being the, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior or life does not conform, whether it's publicly or privately. Public or private hypocrisy. So it's claiming Christ with our lips, but denying him by our lifestyle. Again, whether it's publicly or privately. And that's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That's what brings about the accusations from so many of hypocrisy. But at the heart of hypocrisy, so I'm talking when we step back from just how it's perceived publicly and press into how we ourselves are, are seen before God. So like really getting into the heart of the matter. Hypocrisy is the denial of holiness. 
It's wanting to be perceived as holy, but not wanting to actually be holy. It's wanting to be perceived as righteous without actually being righteous. More concerned with how others perceive us than with how God perceives us. And so here's my question for us to consider this morning. Do we truly desire to be holy as God himself is holy? Or are we more concerned with being perceived as holy? It's a, it's a question that I believe our text today forces us to wrestle with. So if you would, pick up in Acts chapter 4, returning to verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it re remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Well, isn't that encouraging? Obviously not an encouraging text. Not an encouraging story, but a true story. And an important story, nonetheless. See, sometimes we gather as the church. And let's be honest, we gather needing encouragement. You may have walked in the door today feeling that you need encouragement. And I assure you, there are going to be plenty of things that we have addressed and we will address further throughout this book and in other sermons that will be uplifting and encouraging in so many ways. But sometimes, probably more than we would like to admit, we need someone to grab us by the shoulder, look us in the eye, and say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? 
why in the world (laughs) and trying to lovingly get our attention. And that's what we have within our text today. As it presents us with a very clear compare and contrast. Comparing and contrasting Barnabas, the encourager, the one who sold a a piece of property and gave 100% of the proceeds to the apostles to care for those in need within the church, and Ananias and Sapphira, who also sold a piece of property. But rather than giving all the proceeds to the apostles to care for the needy like, like Barnabas, they secretly and deceptively kept some of it back for themselves. Barnabas is the encourager who will go on to travel with Paul upon his first missionary journey. He is mentioned 29 times throughout the book of Acts. He's going to be mentioned even further in the epistles. Ananias and Sapphira, well, they're dead. They're dead by the hand of God as a result of their hypocrisy. So I believe a clear compare and contrast It's essentially leaving us with the question this morning, are are we more like Barnabas with how we're living our life? Or are we more like Ananias and Sapphira with how we're living our life? And to help us answer this question honestly, let's press into this true story just a little bit further. As we do, let's be clear. There was no expectation or requirement for either Barnabas or Ananias and Sapphira to sell their property. No requirement. No requirement at all either to give 100% of the proceeds to the apostles to help care for the needs of the church. That is not a requirement. Barnabas, like so many others in the church there in Jerusalem, is simply giving in response to God's great grace that he has received. He's giving out of the goodness of his heart. Not giving out of some legalistic obligation, but simply giving what he can to help. He's been blessed with more, so he's able to then give more, but he's doing what he can. Thus the reason Peter's line of questioning when it comes to Ananias and Sapphira in verse 4 specifically to Ananias first there in verse 4, essentially being like, why lie, Ananias? Asking, while it it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Meaning, wasn't it your property to do with as you saw fit? Yeah, it was his property to do with as he saw fit. So sell it or or don't sell it. It's Ananias' choice what to do with his property. Then Peter says, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Meaning, you didn't have to sell it, but you did. So you've chosen to sell it. But even after selling it, you still had a choice. Like You could have given the proceeds to the church. You could have given some of the proceeds to the church. Or you could have even given none of the proceeds to the church. It was your choice what to do with the sale of your land. Again, no requirement placed upon them at all. Which then brings the the question and the indictment of why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, 
but to God. Meaning, why the act of deception, Ananias? Why say you, you, you're giving all the proceeds of the land to the church? Like, I'm going to give it all to the church. Why say that, but secretly and deceptively keep a portion of the funds for yourself? Why? You didn't just lie to the church. You lied to God. And that's the question, isn't it? And so why do you think, why do you think Ananias and Sapphira might have done such a thing? Why would they have concocted this scheme to do this together? Why? Well, think about it for a moment. And think about why you may be tempted to do such a thing. Oh, Jeremy, I would never do such a thing as this. <laughs> really? Are you sure? Let's think about this with Ananias and Sapphira first. Could it have been that they, they saw how the people responded to Barnabas' generous gift and were envious of the attention he received? Maybe they wanted to be seen like Barnabas. Or better yet, they wanted to be people to think of them well like the people thought of Barnabas. I'll be honest, I know I'd be tempted. I think we all have been tempted in this way. Like a classmate at school, a sibling at home, a co-worker, receiving praise for something that they have done. Everybody, great job, awesome job, you're doing fantastic. Oh, look at how this person has done this. And What are you tempted with? I want that said about me. I want them to receive me. I want them to recognize me. We want the attention and the recognition for ourselves. That's Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to be seen by others in the church like Barnabas. But while they wanted to be seen and perceived like Barnabas, what were they lacking? The heart of Barnabas. They didn't have the heart of Barnabas. Because at the same time, they also wanted what? They wanted to keep a part of the proceeds for themselves. Which again, they had every right to do. See, the, the problem isn't that they kept a portion of the proceeds for themselves. They, have, they may have had needs that needed the proceeds from this sale for themselves. The problem is what? They lied about it. They said that they gave it all, just like Barnabas. Ha, look, we gave it all, just like Barnabas. When they didn't. They're making the church think one thing about them while actually doing another. Thus the question for all of us. Who are you? Who are we when no one else is looking? So many avenues of application here that we could go down. But here's the thing about Ananias and Sapphira that they either didn't realize or didn't care to realize. Their lie wasn't simply to man, but to God, which is true of every act of hypocrisy that we commit as well. Which is why before we pick up the stones to throw, and it's easy to see a story like this and be like, ah, oh, let's just get Ananias and Sapphira. 
we'd be wise to look at our own hearts first. As we may be more like them than we would ever care to admit. Presenting a picture of ourselves to the church. Presenting a picture of ourselves to the world around us. That isn't exactly true. See, initially in reading this and studying this passage, I saw Barnabas as being the Christian example. Especially as I considered verse 32 and how we're told the the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they, the church, had everything in common. All the church collectively supporting one another in the ministries of the church through generous, sacrificial giving. So I read this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, Barnabas is the example of the believers mentioned here. He's that person called out and used as an example. And I still believe he is. What a glorious example Barnabas is for the church, right? But then, excuse me. Then in contrast, I saw Ananias and Sapphira as examples of unbelievers. So not of one heart and of one soul with the church, which may be true. But the more I've studied this passage, and the more I've thought about this passage, the more I'm inclined to see Ananias and Sapphira as Christians. I see them as members of the church in Jerusalem. Likely even seen as prominent, of a prominent wealthy family within the church. They are a known people. People know who they are. But like so many of us, they're tempted by what? Selfish motives. They found themselves caring more about what their peers think of them than what God thinks of them. Which is, the, is then what leads to their lie and what leads to their hypocrisy. And church, when we stop, and we honestly contemplate what's taking place here within this text, who among us has not been guilty of such an act at one time or another? Again, I say, let him or her cast the first stone. But at the same time, this can't be something that we don't address, as the consequences are far too great. No room for for blatant hypocrisy in the life of the church when holiness is what we are called to. So what I want to do with our remaining time together this morning is press in a little further, considering three points as we do. Starting with number one, Christians are by our new nature generous and sacrificial people. This is in large part reflecting upon what we looked at last week in verses 32 through 37 where we're told there was no one among them who was in need. Them, again, being the church in Jerusalem. We're told that they as a church had everything in common, and we asked the question, oh, how so, how is that? Like, what makes it possible for them to have everything in common? By the people collectively possessing generous and sacrificial hearts and say, hey, what, what is mine is yours. By possessing hearts and minds that overflowed in response to God's great grace that they had received through Christ. 
Meaning their giving isn't done out of any measure of obligation. This isn't law-based giving. No, this is recipients of God's great grace overflowing and squeezed out with great grace and care for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Seeing brothers and sisters in need and doing whatever they could to meet the need. See, Barnabas recognized the needs of so many within the church. He saw it, like there's, there's needs everywhere. And a church faced with mounting poverty, especially with the rising persecution that was taking place. And so he looks at what he has to give and decides to sell a, a piece of land that belonged to him. Now, this may have been the only field that he had, or it may have been one of many fields that, that he has. Either way, his gift is clearly depicted as an act of sacrificial generosity. It's not something he had to do, but something that by his new nature, he was compelled and desired to do. He saw a need, and he looked to meet the need. In church, that's what Christians do. We see a need, and we look to meet the need the very best that we can. It's something we commit to do as members of the church. For those of us who are members, we have covenanted and committed to do this. That is, we who are members of the church have committed to, to give uh, of our regular and regularly and generously in response to God's great grace to, to support the ministries of the church. It's what we have collectively committed to do. And then if other needs arise, we, we give sacrificially in an effort to to meet those needs. Now, clearly, not everyone can go sell a piece of property and give 100% of the proceeds to the church. We may want to. I would love to be able to do that. But we, honest, we're like, most of us cannot do that. Some can, but most can't. That's okay. That's not the expectation. The expectation is that we do what we honestly can, and that we do that what we can with a proper motive. Proper motive being to love God and to love people, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Improper motives being what? Improper motives being what we see from Ananias and Sapphira, not giving out of a love for God or a love for people, but giving out of a love for how they want to be perceived by the people. They want the applause, which reveals a temptation each and every one of us as Christians continually face. And it's the warning or the reminder that just because we've received a new nature in Christ, just because we are recipients of God's great grace, it, it doesn't mean that we're without sin, does it? It doesn't mean that we're not tempted by wrong motives. It doesn't mean we, we still don't desire the applause of men. We do. Which reveals what? And point number two, Christians are by our sinful nature tempted by selfishness. So maybe it's that we see a need. Maybe honestly desire to meet a need. But definitely know we should do something to meet the need. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there like selfishly though, like I know I need to do this. Kind of want to do this, 
but selfishly begin to lift off, list off those reasons why I can't do this. I got this other thing going on. I got this bill. I got this. I got this other event. I got, all, all of which may be true, and many of which could be good things. But I'm, I'm, I'm referring to those times when we, we can do it. But we selfishly don't want to. So we're then trying to justify why we can't. A lie we ourselves may even believe. A lie others may believe. But a lie that God doesn't believe for a second. And I believe it's safe to say we can all relate to this. And if you're here this morning saying that you can't relate to this, then you may be even in worse shape than you realize. See, like I said, I believe Ananias and Sapphira are were Christians. Members of the church in Jerusalem. Likely a prominent, wealthy family within the church. But like us, their ongoing fight with their sinful nature tempts them with selfishness. And their selfishness goes well beyond the money that they kept. Because again, they were under no obligation to sell the land. Or give the proceeds of the land to the church. They could have kept it for themselves or or never sold it at all. Meaning their selfishness was ultimately rooted in what others thought of them. They selfishly wanted to be seen and received like Barnabas. They wanted to be seen like all the other church members who were giving generously and sacrificially. And I get it. Who wouldn't want to be seen like and received like Barnabas? But the problem is, Deception was their chosen path to get there, not holiness. Mental note here, being like Barnabas is not the goal of the expectation. We talked about this a little bit last week. Being like Jesus is the expectation. And we can't be like Christ apart from what? Apart from the Holy Spirit working in our life and apart from the continual pursuit of holiness. And hypocrisy never leads to holiness, always away from it. And again, before we start casting stones, let us examine our own hearts on this matter. Consider how might our selfishness, whether it's the selfishness over our treasures or our time, how might our selfishness keep us from participating or practicing sacrificial generosity and pursuing holiness? How might we be holding back to not giving our all or our best to the Lord? How might we be even serving? So actually serving, actually giving, but doing so in a way that is more rooted in selfishness than holiness. Caring more about what other people think than what God thinks. These are the types of questions that have a way of revealing things about ourselves that, let's just be honest, we don't want to see. That we don't want to admit are, are present within our own life. But if we answer honestly, may, we may very well, these questions may very well help save our life. As we come to point number three, Christians must not represent ourselves falsely 
See, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira, as we've already seen, is not that they keep a portion of the proceeds for themselves, but that they did so deceptively. They were like, look at us. We sold our property just like Barnabas. We gave everything to the church. But the truth is they didn't. And the Lord knows that they didn't. Just like the Lord knows exactly how each and every one of us are are guilty of bearing false witness in one way or another about our own self. That is how we're guilty of representing ourselves falsely, hypocritically, to the world around us. Letting them think one thing when God knows better. And again, friends, we're all guilty in one way or another. How so? Well, it could be any number of ways. It could be as simple as creating the impression that we're someone that we're not. That's the root of hypocrisy. Representing ourselves falsely to those around us. Like making it look like we have it all together. When the truth is, we don't. This is the story of our culture, is it? Isn't it? Online profiles depicting the picture-perfect lives. Or maybe rolling into church on a Sunday morning, displaying this my-life-is-great attitude when you're actually falling apart on the inside. Or maybe, maybe promoting the idea that you're a prayerful person or a generous person when the truth is you're neither. This could be a pastor preaching holiness from the pulpit, but not practicing at home. Sadly, we hear such stories all too often. But either way, the examples we could list abound. And the reality is, deception is a dangerous drug. Because we all want people to see us in a certain way, don't we? We want people to see us as Barnabas. We want people to see us faithfully following Christ. But again, who are we when no one's looking? Who are you when no one else is looking? Because if we aren't striving to look like and be like Christ in private, it's not holiness we're after, but hypocrisy. If we're not hungry for Christ Monday through Saturday, and yet we show up and belt out all I need is Jesus on Sunday, that's the heart of hypocrisy, not holiness. And church, this is a temptation we all face. There is none of us who are exempt. See, we look at Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead on the spot, and it's like, do my, my initial response was like, that's not fair. You didn't give them any time to repent. Just like, boom, they're dead. I mean, Judah seemed to receive more grace than Ananias and Sapphira. But see, here's the difference. Judas was not a believer. So any grace extended to him was simply more and more opportunities to repent and believe before facing judgment. Like Jesus asking, like in a sense, like, are you sure you're going to go through with this? And yes, there, there is clearly the whole providential balance of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But either way, Judas did what he desired to do. He did what he wanted to do. Nobody forced him to do it. 
as did Ananias and Sapphira. Their actions came forth from their own sinful hearts. They did what they wanted to do. But here's the difference with Ananias and Sapphira. They, as Christians, are serving as a warning to the believing church as to the importance of holiness within the church. So why so harsh with their punishment? Because the future of the church is on the line. This church is fledgling. It's just getting started. You know how it's supposed to go, the gospel's supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth? It's in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's as far as it's gotten at this point. It's in Jerusalem. It's just getting started. And right out of the gate, God is sending a clear message through their punishment that he demands holiness from his people, not hypocrisy. He's telling the church that hypocrisy has no place in the life of the church. It may make people look beautiful and put together on the outside. It may bring the applause of men. But our hypocrisy conceals the festering cancer that will destroy the church and the witness of the church if it's not dealt with. And so the Lord is like, this cannot be. You cannot lie to me. You cannot lie with me about, with me, about me, to me with your lips, and you cannot lie to me with your actions. We cannot be lying to one another, and we cannot be lying to God. And so when they drop dead, what's the response of the church? Great fear came upon all who heard. Which is like, duh, like no doubt, like that's the proper response. Just imagine if that happened today. Prominent family, pastor, whoever within the church caught in a lie saying one thing with their public life, with, with their lips and, and doing something else privately, and then just drops dead on the spot. How's the church going to respond? Well, the intended response is fear. The lesson being to fear God and keep his commandments, obey his word, be holy as he is holy. But knowing our culture, We'd likely respond with some natural excuse or as to why this or that happened. But the point of the text is that God demands our holiness, not our hypocrisy. The point is he deeply cares about who we are when no one else is looking. And that's the reminder he's always looking. Thus the warning being, don't let this be you. It's presenting us with the opportunity here in this moment to ask ourselves, where in my life does hypocrisy presently exist? And it provides the opportunity by the grace of God to repent and to turn away from our sin, to turn away from our hypocrisy and turn to Christ in faith and to pursue holiness. Not by our works, but by the grace of God. So I ask each of us to consider what describes our life this morning. Is it hypocrisy or is it holiness? 
Do we care more about what God thinks or what people think? Friends, these are important questions for us to consider before we come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. Reflecting on how it's God's great grace through Christ that makes our holiness possible. We're taking the cup and we're taking the bread. As baptized followers of Christ, saying, I am living in response to God's grace, a life of repentance in faith. I am seeking by God's grace, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in obedience to his commands. I am repenting of my sin. I'm repenting of my hypocrisy. And once again, this week, I am pressing on in holiness, knowing I will never ultimately be able to achieve it in this world. But I am pursuing Christ. That's the commitment we make when we come to the table in here in just a few moments. Do not come to the table without repentant hearts. Come to the table remembering what Christ did to save us from our sins and what he's called us to do while we walk this earth. Let's pray. Lord, I know the text before us is a difficult one. It is a needed one. Lord, where hypocrisy exists within our lives individually, where hypocrisy exists within the church, Lord, bring us to conviction and repentance. Help us to turn away from our sin and continue to look to Christ as our only hope in life and in death. May we look out upon the world. May we look upon one another. And whether it is through our, our time, our talents, or our treasures, let us give generously and sacrificially to carry on the mission of the church. Not for our name's sake, but yours. May your name be glorified in all the earth, we pray in Jesus' name.